0: This is episode 58 of the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast with Brittany Tashkoff.
1: For anyone who's listening who has heard that kind of advice of reaching out and um, finding community and is scared, <laughs> see you. <laughs> because I'm, uh, I would say, an introvert extrovert. Uh, most people would probably call me an extrovert. But. Um, I call myself this kind of mix, and and part of that is because I feel that while I can naturally be within a group setting, finding that deeper connection, that deeper sense of community is a little bit more challenging. Uh, How do I really feel connected to someone? How do I find someone that I can trust when I'm in this transitional stage? and how do I navigate that alongside whatever other dynamics are going on? So if someone's willing to be my mentor, but they're also the one giving me my contracts, is that sticky? Is that Does that feel 100% comfortable? Uh, is that where I want? And, and also being able to be particular about who is that fit for me uh, as far as community. Because... We might run into someone who's willing to be our mentor, but are they the person that we need? Um, And what does that look like for ourselves when we don't even know how to define that yet?
0: You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, a podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. In today's episode, we have part one of my conversation with Brittany Tachkov, who has a course on music therapy ed about funding and program development, so you can check that out. In this episode, we talk about her first five years as a music therapist, her um, development, and what she's learned along the way, switching from kind of a contract gig type thing to employment and how she keeps that business mindset in her current, um, her current employment position. And here's a fun fact for any of you looking for internships, Brittany is hoping to have some interns uh, with everything going on still. So if you're looking for an internship, then you can reach out to her. Her information will be in the show notes. So if you're enjoying the Music Therapy Chronicles, please let us know by leaving us a review on iTunes. You can also find us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. And we have a group on Facebook that you can join and start a conversation, join a conversation, uh, all that good stuff. Also, please subscribe. So you get the episodes delivered to your podcast listening app device every week. And you can also become a patron on patreon.com. Patrons have the exclusive opportunity to ask guest questions. So when I schedule an interview, I put that on Patreon. And if there are any questions for that person, the patrons are allowed to put them there. Uh, I will say in part two of my episode with Brittany, which will come out next week, we talk about cultural uh, humility uh, which is obviously a hot topic right now so definitely stay tuned for that but let's get into part one for now Welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. Thank you, Tricia. It's good to be here. Yeah. How are you doing today?
1: As I said before, navigating. <laughs> navigating the times. Aren't we all? Um, so I'll say, I'll, I'll put the good considering as my short answer.
0: Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself,
1: even outside of music therapy? Um, I live in Northern California. I have a Corgi and my Corgi has an Instagram. That's actually the only reason I started having an Instagram account. Um, I was originally in Illinois, grew up in the Midwest and then came out to California um, to study music therapy. Um, I've been singing since I was two years old um, in a group called the sunshine dancing kids i actually re-watched it with my family recently Uh, (laughs) um so cute uh to just see the little beginnings um singing before i was speaking and uh, music was just this really big piece of growing up and um not necessarily with parents who would identify as musical but just with Um, that encouragement to explore that creative side of me, uh, which also takes the form of knitting and um, paint nights probably only. I'm looking at my little succulent painting over there (laughs) uh, that's behind my computer. Um, And um, yeah, just a lot of different creativity and, and support I think is Kind of the backdrop of me.
0: Yeah good for you it's good to have multiple creative outlets especially with what we do. Yeah. So how did you find music therapy and can you tell us about your journey till now?
1: So I found it in a book of college majors. Um, I started looking at colleges when I was In eighth grade because I have three older brothers and so my oldest brother was going to college so that sounded like the perfect time for me to start looking at (laughs) colleges (laughs) and I would just look at these big books of colleges and I'd be like "Ooh, maybe I want to go there maybe I want to go there and then I thought maybe I should decide what I want to do (laughs) and um, I was thinking probably in the more traditional music therapy route of Uh, psychology with a music minor
2: Mm.
1: and then found music therapy in a book of college majors um, and started looking at looking up music therapists in the area that I could uh, shadow. I actually went to Giant Steps in Illinois and wrote my college essay on that experience of seeing a child who is nonverbal being able to interact within a musical framework. So clearly, even though I did not know what music therapy was at that point, concretely, I was seeing uh, this communication that was happening beyond words. And uh, so by the time I was applying for colleges, I knew music therapy was what I wanted, And, um, and went to University of the Pacific in Stockton, And then I'm still in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, practicing. A lot of my development, I feel like, was after my internship. I went and did my internship at Seasons Hospice in San Diego, moved back to the Bay Area and navigated being a new professional in an area which may not be uncommon in other areas of the state, I don't know, but really in an area where most music therapists were private practice, at least the ones that I could find. Um, Most jobs were uh, being a subcontractor, or independent contractor, and I was the stubborn person who wanted to be in this area, did not want to move for a job, (laughs) even though that often leads to more job prospects in more areas. And I had to figure out what was my value in music therapy when looking for jobs. Did I want to take a position that was titled as activity therapist or recreational therapist? Um, Was I open to uh, being an independent contractor and trying to navigate having my own business license, which I did, Mm. (laughs) and navigating um, when some an employer isn't paying for your taxes, and what does that mean, especially in a state like California, um, and feeling like I didn't have support, but that I also didn't have the confidence to ask for support.
2: Hmm.
1: So um, while I, ha- I had gotten the advice of looking for mentors, I didn't know how to do that. Um, and I, I just wanted to name here for anyone who's listening, who has heard that kind of advice of reaching out and, um, finding community and is scared, (laughs) I see you (laughs) because I'm, uh, I would say an introvert, extrovert. Um, most people would probably call me an extrovert, but, um, I call myself this kind of mix and, um, And part of that is because I feel that while I can naturally be within a group setting, finding that deeper connection, that deeper sense of community is a little bit more challenging. Uh, How do I really feel connected to someone? How do I find someone that I can trust when I'm in this transitional stage? Mm -hmm. Um, And how do I navigate that alongside whatever other dynamics are going on. So if someone's willing to be my mentor, but they're also the one giving me my contracts,
2: mm-hmm.
1: is that sticky? Is that Does that feel 100% comfortable? Uh, is that where I want? And, and also being able to be particular about who is that fit for me uh, as far as community? Because we might run into someone who's willing to be our mentor but are they the person that we need? Mm-hmm. Um, and what does that look like for ourselves when we don't even know how to define that yet? So this first year of being a professional was really um, getting, trying to get comfortable with discomfort <laughs> of not really knowing what you're doing. Not 100% knowing where to look for help, but still asking. Um, still trying to take that risk of uh, I was trying this out, and I think this was working, but (laughs) I'm not sure. Um, Being able to own my mistakes, not just as a clinician, as a music therapist, but also uh, in signing contracts, as an independent contractor, Mm -hmm. and um, not knowing how to ask for what I needed and not knowing how to ask for pay <laughs> yeah. and um, thinking that I was asking the right questions and then underselling myself. I mean, there was one place that I worked um, and I was paid half as much as I think I should have asked for because I asked for half because I thought I was going to get paid for time that I wasn't getting paid for. Oh, and um, and I was actually taught, I was told this, I, I had asked um, my internship supervisor before negotiating this and and I was given some of those questions and I still did it wrong <laughs> and I still didn't ask for it. And that's not their fault. Uh, there's this kind of mutual piece that goes behind negotiating a contract and asking for what you're worth. Um, and I felt like that was a skill that I had to develop, mm-hmm. and that wasn't being reinforced. Because I, at this stage uh, in my development, it was really easy for me to look back at my university and say, "Hey, why didn't you teach me this, this, and this?" Or um, you know, think of my intern supervisor and say, "Hey." Why didn't you guide me in this, this, and this? And now I'm on the supervisor side. And with when I reflect back on that first year, I think about, wow, I probably was told quite a few things, but I wasn't retaining all of it. Oh, so true. And And it was so hard to absorb it that I had to live my mistakes to actually learn some of that information. Yeah. I don't um, fully take my university off the hook. (laughs) I don't fully, um, you know, take 100% responsibility in some of those mistakes, but I definitely take at least 50, if not 75% of that. Um, And what started to develop in that first year was this idea of a business mindset without being a business owner. And I think there's this sense of if you are not planning on starting your own private practice, which may or may not be a necessity depending on how you and where you plan on living. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you you may or may not end up feeling like you have a choice in that, um, in the music therapy world, depending on where you're located and what you're hoping to do. And, but let's say that you're not, you, you're going to go and try and find full time employment, which is where I shifted um, after my first year. There's still a lot to navigate that requires knowing what an employer and a business owner is looking at when they're looking at you and your needs and advocating for yourself. So that shifts into when I became an employee and then later started a uh, program at a hospice, I was very grateful that I started as an independent contractor, Mm -hmm. even though I made a lot of mistakes and that didn't end up being sustainable to me. And I have a lot of gratitude for those business owners who gave me those contracts And then, you know, I left and went into full-time work Um, or full-time employment uh, with benefits. But it was invaluable to see, oh, some of those benefits might not be there because they can't afford it.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Or having my own instruments is good (laughs) so that I know what is of value to me so I can justify that to someone else. Or they might not be, this timing might not be right for me to ask for this, but maybe a different timing would work out. So i found that the quality of my experience being a full-time employee as a music therapist has been created partially because I could understand the bigger picture that they were looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things that they're investing in? And in a hospice, it's like, do they have an inpatient unit? Did they Are they ramping up another program? <laughs> so that means that music therapy might need to take a back seat for a little bit or maybe be working in parallel. Um, and how do we also consider the other disciplines that are there and what their needs are and what they're advocating for when we're advocating for ourselves so that we're not just, I'm the music therapist. Music therapy is so important. It is the program. It is the major benefit. Yeah. Um, we are one part of a bigger system that, that needs to be, Uh, recognized and valued and um and so being on in some of those meetings where it's you know it's the social work meeting I'm a music therapist do I need to go to that well now I have an understanding of what are the needs of another discipline Mm -hmm. um And being able to articulate why it's important for me to be there or to be at the interdisciplinary team meeting so that I'm more integrated Mm -hmm. than left on the edge of, here's our shiny music therapy program, wherever they decide to put me. Yeah. Yeah, in some ways,
0: that's so opposite of what we hear, right? They're like when you're getting your education and I'm guilty of this, you hear or you say like you're, you're going to be explaining what music therapy is for the rest of your life. You're going to have to advocate for yourself. Like people aren't necessarily going to get it right away. So for you to then say, yeah, but sometimes you also need to give space and know like it's not time for that. Um, something else needs the recognition and then we'll try again when the timing is better. That's, that's great to hear. Um, and it's a good reminder for people maybe who are feeling burnt out because they're pushing 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 but they're pushing at the wrong time
1: right it it is at least in my experience and I think every person has their own pacing as far as advocacy in music therapy Um, similar to what some of the language we hear with with COVID-19 and how it's a marathon and not a sprint Mm and what we're what we're trying to navigate Advocacy is a marathon and not a sprint. It is something that we will have to keep doing. So we have to notice within ourselves what that pacing looked like. Yeah. There are some pe- music therapists out there and maybe this is the image that pressures us. There are some music therapists out there who are ready to advocate 24 yeah. <laughs> seven every day. And that's their pace and that's their energy. And there is nothing wrong with those individuals who are just living and energized within the advocacy. That is amazing. And we need those music therapists. And that can be really inspiring. Mm. It may also feel really intimidating. (laughs) It may also feel like we need to be. And of course, with any uh, comparisons, we always are putting ourselves into a A box and digging ourselves into a hole of uh, what if I could do it this way? And I would challenge that with, and what can you do? Mm. What is it that's accessible at the moment that feels like, oh, today I can send this one email because music therapy wasn't mentioned (laughs) in this other email that I think should have been mentioned to everyone. Or... Today, I'm not going to send that email where music therapy wasn't mentioned because I know I'm gonna be talking to that person in a week or two. And so I can mention it then and I don't have to make this into an issue right now. Um, and, and knowing what is our comfort zone, when are we reacting? When are we pushing ourselves towards burnout and advocacy? And when are we trying to find this kind of sweet spot of this is comfortable, this is a moment of advocacy that fills my passion, that fills me back up when possible. And to me, sometimes that looks like someone shares a story about music that they used in their practice, or um, I work with, um, these programs aren't working at the moment but um volunteer programs like threshold singers and music and memory and um when they share their stories it is not always an invitation for us to explain music therapy (laughs) it it, it's not it it can be absolutely because sometimes it is they get it they get that music is having an impact Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're sharing something so deep and so personal in the way that it's either, or like, you know, I work with um, spiritual care counselors who who use music in their practice and, and they're sharing such beautiful stories and it doesn't mean that music therapy needed to be in that moment.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And giving people permission to use music (laughs) almost it it almost feels like is there a permission yeah for them to use music without it being called music therapy without us having to explain oh and here's how I would have done it (laughs) um because they get it and we're not going to be at every place we're not going to be able to serve every patient or client We're not going to be able to help every person. Mm. We're not going to be the the music saviors (laughs) that swoop in to deepen the experience of music so that it's music therapy. Yeah. Um, And so I've been switching that mindset the more I've worked with other uses of music um, to wow, isn't it great that someone else can do that? Mm -hmm. Isn't it great that I could empower someone to think about it that way? Isn't it great that the family is now singing to their loved one because I came and I sang to their loved one? And I don't need to tell them, oh, have you tried it this way? (laughs) Have you done this? Sometimes that's important. Sometimes that's valuable education and sometimes it's not yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> i i went to a uh, cmte on advocacy maybe a couple years ago now and i remember i think it was dr register said there's so we can all agree there's an abundance of people who music therapy could be useful for and those most of those people music is good for. And if it's the harp therapist instead of you, that's great. Like we don't own the music, we can't see mm-hmm. everyone. There's plenty to go around and just like you said, we should embrace that someone else can provide what that person
1: needs. Right. Yeah. That reminds me we actually also have a harpist that comes to our inpatient unit. That's awesome. <laughs> and I remember, you know, I I what I was grateful for was that before that decision was made because I happened to work there before that was implemented. Music and memory came before music therapy where I work right now. Mm -hmm. So who am I to come in and say, this is how it should be done. At the same time to be included, to be asked, to be a consultant in the uses of music and to be a part of kind of interviewing the, the harpists to be able to see Really just to check the box of are you flexible enough that if someone asked you to stop or said, no, this isn't a good day, that you'd be okay and you'd still come back the next week. Yeah. And that's the biggest requirement in my mind when thinking about other people's uses of music is um, will they reach out to me (laughs) or consult me? or tell me. And that's one of the reasons why listening to those stories without pushing the music therapy definition
2: Mm.
1: is actually really valuable because it might mean they come back to you the next time. Yeah. And they might come back to you when it's not working. If you can't listen to their good story, how do you, how are you going to be a safe space to listen to the times when it could be a potential for harm? And we won't know that unless someone tells us, we won't know that unless someone feels comfortable coming up and saying, I am wondering what you think about this. Mm. Um, so I think I think some of that is just creating a safe space for us as music therapists to listen to other stories. And I've heard so many heartwarming, music stories because of that
0: yeah.
1: and um, even thinking about music as a as a form of staff support or music and wellness and what does that look like because I'm not doing music therapy in those regards right I'm not (laughs) yeah but I might be using some of that lens uh, to support like I do um, song rewriting with my treatment team um, and I'll kind of insert it into the reflection portion about once a month and so I'll get their words for different, um, sometimes it's around birthdays. Um, The one that, that sticks in my mind right now is the one that I did in, I think it was the end of April So right in the midst of COVID-19, right around the time when we would have had a birthday potluck if we could see each other in person, but of course that's not going to happen. I got the list. There weren't too many birthdays within that period of time, but there were also some staff that were leaving within the coming weeks and then people to be celebrated. And so being able to create a musical space that both acknowledged um what was going on and was celebrating and was grieving um we did we i rewrote the song uh changes turn to face the strange (laughs) um and uh and could you know email out to the team like do you have words for any of these people and then include it and be uh, kind of the voice for the team and then send it to the various people personally um, so that sometimes even opens the door of now recently there's been a team member because i've been doing weekly songs and i started with like me selecting a song and recording it and then i was like this isn't about me so i'm gonna go ask okay <laughs> i asked you know once a uh, you know a nurse is there a song that's coming to your mind? And then I asked the southern nurse, and now it's this kind of ball rolling of different songs that are meaningful uh, to different people. And I was surprised that one person actually rewrote a song as their song. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like, why are you sending me the lyrics to this song? Oh, it's because you rewrote them. Cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Oh. And so then it doesn't have to be us, right? Yeah. It's this we've modeled what music wellness can look like. And then someone else can take that and do it on their own. Or, you know, there's a spiritual care counselor in another team who's done kind of similar things. And then she shares it with me. I was thinking of you because I did this one song, but I changed some of the words so that it could be <laughs> more meaningful. And I think um, being able to share, especially the music wellness pieces of what we do so that there are more opportunities for for people to experience what's happening and i think it's a big accessibility issue as Mm -hmm. well right where are we accessible um and when is it that you know there's only one of us and there's a huge a census, or an entire hospital, or yeah. an entire school—you know, wherever it is, where it's like, well, actually, we need more, but they can't afford it, right? Yep. There's, there's not a budget, because a lot of times that's where I think some frustration can happen. People are advocating until they're blue in the face, mm-hmm. but they're advocating to a wall, and this wall is the budget. <laughs> Well, this sad. wall is like the system. <laughs> and and if you yell at the wall, it's not going to come down. <laughs> and it can feel really frustrating. You can start hitting your head on the wall and you start getting, right? You like start getting that fatigue. You start getting like that injury in- internally of like, why is it that they don't understand how valuable this is? Mm-hmm. And... Sadly, a lot of times it's not that it's not valuable. They know how important it is. You've made, you've, I'm sure, I can't speak to everyone, but I'm sure most people have made someone cry <laughs> from yep. telling a story of music therapy. Yep. The work speaks for itself in many ways. And those stories can speak for themselves. Those stories cannot change the reality of finances Mm. and budgeting. So while there is an element of our work is so important and what we do clinically is so valuable and here is the impact and here are the people that we're not getting to, right? That's a really important piece that I always try to explain is like, here's the people and at least in hospice like who have died before they received services even though there was a referral. All of this can be very moving and powerful, but there's going to be someone at that table who is straight numbers Mm -hmm. and they are not going to, they might read that part. I'll give them that. Well, let's just assume that they read all of the heartwarming, all the quotes, all the statistics about who's not receiving it. But if there is nothing in there about, okay, how much does this cost? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: How are we going to afford it? Um, they're not going to sign off. It's yeah. just that that reality. Or if there was a some kind of financial downturn, which is a big thing right now. Yeah, yeah. Things are getting cut, and it's heartbreaking. Um, and it, it there's really hard decisions that I'm glad I'm not I'm not in the position to make mm. in some companies, right? Yeah. Um you know, do we afford PPE or do we have the music therapy program? Mm-hmm. That's a tough, right? Can we, can our advocacy really say yeah. <laughs> music therapy in that instance? Yeah. Yeah. There are some realities that are, that are really challenging and there will be other opportunities. Mm. And that might take like a few years <laughs> that might be in a few weeks the timing is a complete unknown, not something that we can control. Um, and who is at that table making that decision? Uh, we, we hope that they can hear our stories and that they're the people who will be moved and the people who um, will have that be a factor in those decisions, but not always. Yeah. We need those people who will make the hard decisions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I was so grateful when the governor of New Hampshire closed down the state in March, because that was, um, you know, it was like, do I go to the schools and can I then go from the school to this really medically involved client that I see in the afternoon? And like, I was grateful that he kind of just did that. And I know that's not a budget thing necessarily, but it was one of those tough, tough things that I was like, I am one person and I'm not sure what the best course of action is. So I'm right there with you.
1: Right. And like, that does come into um, even safety, right? Mm -hmm. Safety decision. That's a really big thing that's coming up now. Um, And I remember when I had to make that decision early on, um, the state was shutting down. Shelter in place was in place. And I work in a quote unquote essential I, I don't, it's not my favorite word, but in this, um, what's deemed essential within the state. Mm. So, and at least within my company, what's continues to be deemed an a, essential position, okay. at least my interpretation of that. I don't think I have that anywhere in writing, so I can't prove it. <laughs> but um, but there was a, a, a time when, when there was a big shift towards um, to visit or not to visit. Yep. And people were trying to make a mindful decision, which meant that they weren't going to have an answer right away. And then, of course, in the moment, that was very frustrating for me. In hindsight, I am, again, not <laughs> jealous yeah. of uh, those who have had to make those difficult decisions. And so there was one day when uh, a family was actually asking me to come. And I had to make the judgment call of, I don't have a clear, yes, I can go. I don't have a clear, no, I can't. Where do I connect with myself to make my best decision? And mm-hmm. I ended up not going.
2: Yeah.
1: But I did a phone visit instead. So um, I had to just shift it to okay, I can, can you put me on speakerphone?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So that we can, and it, it turned into this beautiful, um, this beautiful experience that we could continue on through phone and FaceTime, transitioning into telehealth. Um, and I just had to make that decision when it came up. Um. And that was a thing that I think those um, first five years, I'm, I finished my five year cycle six months ago. Um, Yay, I have my new certificate. Congratulations. (laughs) Made it. Um, Have arrived and have not arrived. Uh, But there, a lot of what I felt like I had to adapt to in those first five years help prepare for this adaptability in the current situation.
0: Yeah.
1: Of um where do you follow your personal and clinical instinct to make the best decision that you can? Mm-hmm. Um where do you uh ask for guidance and where do you have to just follow on your own? Um, because some decisions have to be made before yeah, <laughs> sooner yeah. rather than later. You can't some decisions, like that decision, right? The person asking for me to come that day, I had to give them an answer. Yeah, there was no, <laughs> there was no. Uh, actually, can you just wait a week? Because I don't, you know. Yeah, it's hospice. what if they weren't there in a week? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> so I think the the interesting thing for me about what I call business mindset, I think is also similar to clinical judgment, right? Mm. Where are we seeing the big picture, but also focusing in on the small things in front of us? Where are we understanding what we can control and help change and what we can't? Or worth a client. And they just don't want to go in that direction, even though we're like, we've got the answer for you. <laughs> we just do this and we'll go <laughs> in this direction. Um, when really it's actually your needs in this moment, even if, even if it was the speech goal, say, you, you know, you're working on a speech goal, but someone comes in emotional.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yes, we still want to work on the speech goal, but we might need to meet <laughs> the yeah. emotional need first. Um, but we still have the big picture of, and we can still have these long-term goals in this this bigger area. So, but that's not the moment when we're going to focus on speech, right? Yes, totally. That's not. So I parallel that to, you know, we might have this bigger goal of, let's say, advocating for a second position, which uh, I actually did right before COVID nineteen. <laughs> we wow. got a second music therapist <laughs> hired in the end of February. Um, what timing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is where um, I think luck and timing comes in. And so I don't take full credit <laughs> for, for the, the, the part of that, which is the stars aligning, right? Um, and I um, couldn't have put that kind of proposal together sooner But did I have that in mind? Absolutely. I want there to be, you know, five music therapists, but I don't think that's actually realistic Um, (laughs) if we want to just dream into a bigger number. But um, I knew that at some point I would want more than one of me. I started having interns and I started gathering information and then I had to watch for the timing. I had to see when was there a momentum. And when was it that my proposal would get to the right people and they'd actually read it Yeah, and they'd actually be ready. Um, and also being ready for them to not go with my proposal.
2: Mm.
1: And knowing that advocating doesn't mean that you're going, they're going to say yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that comes at the, personal level, that comes at the organizational level or in the you know business owner, if that's your business. And that also comes at the legislative level. I'm on the California task force. Um, and we, you know, California was a state where our title protection bill was vetoed in 2015. Mm-hmm. And then it was passed. In 2019, wow! There you go, and uh, (laughs) and that, and some of that, right? With the fact that this bill was 100% supported by the Senate, 100% supported by the Assembly, made it to the governor's desk, and then was vetoed in 2015. Now we have a new governor, and so that element of timing, yeah, that element of when will our voices be, be heard?
0: Let's let's take that and uh, transition because you wanted to touch on cultural humility today. Ooh. yeah. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to say that right as you're drinking, but let's take our voices and be heard. So let's get uncomfortable. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you learned a lot from the first half of this conversation with Brittany. Again, you can find us online and on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. If you or someone you know is interested in being on the show, please send us an email at feedback at music and if there's someone you just want us to have on the show you can also let us know there so I know who you want to hear who do you want me to reach out to who do you want to hear from uh, again please consider becoming a patron on patreon.com for just a dollar a month you can have the opportunity to ask guest questions so maybe there's a guest you want you send me an email and then you become a patron and you get to ask them all your questions that's totally fine with me All right, tune in next week to hear the second half of my conversation with Brittany. This week's quote is from Sri Chonmoy, and it reads Paradise is not a place, it is a state of consciousness.